In our Modern Family Series message, what I want to do is just take out your family, uh, your guide, your service guide, take out your app, put it on here. I want to do something with you. I want you to rate yourself or get on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest. And here's what I want you to rate yourself. How are you doing on seizing the day or taking or making of the most in your moments of uh, growing all of your relationships in Jesus Christ? So take just a minute from 1 to 10, rate yourself. One is the lowest, meaning like I'm not doing anything at all. I'm not interacting. Ten being, man, I am Jesus, man. I, every moment of my day, right? <laughs> so uh, that gives you a good spectrum. Give yourself anywhere in there, right? Just take a few minutes. Start thinking about it. All right, now I want to ask you this question. Here it is. What reason did you not rate yourself lower? I want you to list those. If you gave yourself a five, then there's a reason why, Right? Even if you gave yourself a one, you are here today. And that's important because either you're taking your first steps into a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you're trying to find out what you can do or what maybe is possible. And if you gave yourself a 10, well, man, you're amazing. So uh, that's good. But what reason did you not rate yourself lower? And I want to do that today because here's what happens. When we look at a message like this, we can walk out these doors discouraged just totally, maybe even flabbergasted, and we're just like ready to give up. But God says, hey, look, we're all doing something. This message, the desire for us today is to say, hey, here's some next steps. So begin to process in your mind, what will move you from whatever number you have now to the next number higher? Or let's take a big jump. What will it take for you right now as you begin to think, what will take you from the number you're at to two numbers higher, right? And so begin to process that. Our title of our message today is this, uh, Seize the Day, uh, Carpe Diem. Maybe for you, you remember, uh, well, you probably don't remember this because it was 2,000 years ago, but you, maybe you've heard of it, uh, Hor uh, Roman poet named Horace. And he was the one that actually coined this phrase, carpe diem, or seize the day. In 1989, Robin Williams, he played this uh, professor, this teacher named John Keating, and he, his whole idea with these students was to make your life extraordinary. He uh, simplified the carpe diem into making your life extraordinary. Then there's uh, Metallica in 1997. They had carpe diem baby. And Judy Dench, how many of you actually know who Judy Dench is? I did not know until I saw her picture, and I was like, oh, I know this woman. At age 81, she had tattooed on her wrist carpe diem. She wanted to seize the day, even at 81 years old. And then Nike, in 1988, began this whole new slogan. It's known as the world's most amazing slogan of advertising. Uh, it was to give customers that purchased their project, they would be achieving greatness. And that happened with Nike in 1988 uh, with uh, Just Do It. And then today, we have totally revolutionized, brought in this whole new idea of carpe diem with hashtag YOLO, right? Now, I do not agree with all of the principles here, but we really, the reality is there is no such thing as reincarnation. You and I only live once. We are living on borrowed time. Life is short, and the older we get, the more we realize it's short, and we want to captivate everything we possibly can, live this life to the fullest, live in total abandonment to Jesus Christ, and taking faith steps with him. 
This week, uh, actually last week, I was listening to a podcast by this guy named uh, John Acuff. And he said this, we live in a world where there are bottomless possibilities and endless distractions. See, we live in a life where there is so much you and I can go, we can do, we can be. There's so much information just flowing at us But at the same time, where you and I want to seize the day, we want to live that carpe diem, YOLO lifestyle, the reality is there is distraction after distraction after distraction that keeps me from living, seizing the day for Jesus Christ. And when we look at this in our modern family, or if we take it to another step, in your workplace, or in your relationships, in your neighborhood. And Jesus through a man named John, had uh, said this. He said in John chapter 10, verse number 10, he says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I came, Jesus Christ came, that you and I might have life more abundantly. See, there is this distraction by our arch enemy, Satan, that comes into our life and says, hey, look, check out all this stuff I have for you. And Jesus is over here saying, hey, hey, hold on. That isn't life. The entire book of James, Jesus' brother, he writes writes this book of James, and he says, hey, look, there are endless distractions for you and me in our life. And they come from this thief, Satan, trying to distract you, pull you away from where God wants you to be. Jesus came to give you real, true life, to help you to live a seize-the-day, carpe diem lifestyle that just like um, Henry David Thoreau said, to suck the marrow out of life that we can have this amazing life with Jesus Christ. That's what he wants from us. But he also wants us to understand that, hey, there is a thief trying to distract us and pull us off track from where God wants us to be. If there's one thing that you remember in our entire, entire message, entire time together today, here's the one thing. A seize the day lifestyle comes as I am leading everyone in my lifestyles, in my life circles, excuse me, to Christ. Now, when I say leading people to Christ, that doesn't mean that you're making them come to Jesus Christ. It literally means that you and I are pointing, developing, encouraging people to walk to Jesus Christ. Just like I can take my dog and my dog can, I can put down a bowl of water and it can be so thirsty. I can bring my dog over to that bowl of water and guess what? I can never make that dog drink that water. In our modern family, seizing the day type of lifestyle, we can bring our family, we can bring our relationships, we can bring our business co-workers, we can bring all of our neighbors, we can lead them to Jesus Christ. And here's the next part. We help them grow in those relationships with Jesus Christ, regardless of the response or the outcome. And that last little phrase is really important Because there are parents in here today that you look back, and when we do a series like this, you have regret and shame, remorse, and it feels like someone's just dumping cold water on the passions that you have. Because your children didn't go in the direction that you hoped, or something came in and fractured that relationship. And maybe it's something at work, or maybe it's even something in your neighborhood that's happened. And so what our goal is today, we are doing the things that God's given us, not as a formula of A plus B equals spiritual people that just love to just love Jesus. No, because that's not how it works. 
That might happen. That's our hope. That's our passion. That's what we pray for, that there's a spiritual development, a spiritual growth in people. But God says, hey, look, we're called, as Matthew 28 says, uh, that we are to go and make disciples. That's our call. As followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus was getting ready to leave his disciples. He says, hey, look, here's the last thing I have to tell to you. You go make disciples just like I made disciples of you. And that's our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. We lead people to Christ and they have the opportunity to accept or reject him. We help them grow in that relationship regardless of the outcome. And that brings us really to our very first place. Because the only time as modern family people seizing the day, the only way that we can get to that place is when we start with this one place. We have a true change of heart. And that's found in Mark chapter 10, uh, 10, verse 17 through 22. In Mark chapter 10, we find this man who has all this money and all this wealth, and he is empty and hurting and lost. And he comes running to Jesus, and this is what, he, what happens. And as he was on his journey, Jesus was on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Here's what's really important. And here's the process that all of us are, we're leading people so they can grow. We're leading people to Christ. Somewhere in this whole life that he had had, he had understood that this man named Jesus was the same as God. It was Jesus in the flesh standing before him. And he says, you know the commandments is what Jesus says to him. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher. So this rich guy says, teacher. All of those things I kept from my youth. He's like, since I was a young kid, I kept those things. I did a moral lifestyle. And Jesus is like, yep, you did have a moral lifestyle. You were a good person. You did respect your relationships. And he's saying, this is what Jesus is saying. God's over there. And you're over here, and there's this massive cavern between us. And you want to bridge this gap to have eternal life, but there is something right here. And so Jesus knows what's really going on inside of this young man's heart. And Jesus says this, looking at him, loved him. See, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't trying to be mean. He wasn't trying to be hard. He loved him intensely. And he says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Here's what happens. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, this young man, because he had great possessions. See, the one thing that stood in a change of heart for this young man was not that he didn't realize that Jesus was the Son of God. He, didn't rea he realized that Jesus was pure and holy and righteous and he was everything that God was in the flesh standing right before him. It wasn't that he didn't live a good moral lifestyle. You know what stood between him? There was this massive pile of possessions. You know what every teenager, every child, every adult, every person. There's this massive something that we all have before we have that change of heart. What was it for you? 
That was that pile that separated you between you and God. For me, here's what it was. I'm going to tell you just honest truth. I hated God. I hated him with a passion. He messed up my life. He took everything that I ever wanted. My parents were missionaries um, to New Hampshire in New England, actually New England. They planted churches all over the place. And I remember my dad had a high-paying job at a bank, and he was doing all these great things. We had this wonderful house. We had all these possessions, everything that a kid that age wanted. And I remember the day my parents were packing up a U-Haul. And they said, we're going to Birmingham, Alabama to study about going into the ministry. And I remember, my brothers and I still talk about this, the ones that were old enough to remember, um, the things we left behind. I had bitterness and anger and resentment from God. I didn't want anything to do with him because I saw God as messing up my life until I came to Jesus in eighth grade, which we'll talk a little bit about in a minute. But what is it for you? Maybe this is your first time, or maybe first time in a while, or maybe you're here and you're just trying to search out who God is. You say, man, Jesus is a good person. Maybe you even accept that Jesus is the Savior. He came to this earth to save you. But when you look at it, you're like, there's something standing there. Maybe it's even as far as scientific evidence for you. Wipe that away and have a change of heart. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Realize that we cannot do anything in ourselves to have eternal life without Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to have, as modern families, a seize-the-day attitude, here's what you and I must do. We must have a change of heart. I remember, for me, where the change of heart came. It was from sixth grade to eighth grade, it was a long, long process. I think if my mom were standing here with you, she would say it was the worst time of her life during those years. Um, I remember we had a white Chevy station wagon with red vinyl seats. And every time we had, I remember we'd go to Shaw's grocery store, and for whatever reason, my mom would sit in the parking lot and have to talk to me about Jesus. And about how he saved me from my sins and how he loved me no matter how bad I was. And I knew, I'm like, I don't know, I'm really bad. <laughs> I'm like a devil child. And um, so she like talking to me the whole time, like we're sweat pouring off our face. I'm like, okay. And I would just, this is what I told her. I did that thing, mom. I did it. Just, you know, let's just go. I remember sitting in our driveway. It was late at night coming home from a soccer game. She would start these spiritual conversations with me. I'm like, I'm so tired. When is she going to stop? I remember laying on the couch one day, and she like comes up to me. He's like, Steve, when are you going to accept Jesus as your Savior? When are you going to just submit to him? I had this big, huge pile of anger, resentment, bitterness, hatred. And I remember Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And that while you were yet sinners, I remember hearing that for the first time. I was like, and I know I heard it before, but I remember it like hit me. I was like, all that anger, resentment, bitterness, the just dirtiness of my life. I remember him saying, like, I still loved you and I died for you in the midst of that moment. And I remember sitting on the front little pew at this chapel service. I remember having that moment where it's like, I'm done fighting God. I'm done being miserable. I'm done hating him when he loves me. And I was like, all right, I accept Jesus as my Savior. And at that moment, things changed because I had a change of heart and God was able to come in and begin to work in my life. 
And so as you and I, we're going to lead people to Christ, and we're going to help them grow in that relation, regardless of the response or the outcome, not only are we going to look for a change of heart, because that's the only way that it can start, the second thing we're going to do is we're going to look around. Look at Luke chapter 21. Jesus looked up, and this is another story. Dr. Luke tells this. He pens it in his scripture. Sorry, I didn't fill in that gap. And he wants to help us to understand that in life, as we're discipling people, we must look around. And he says, he looked up and he saw rich people putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And get the picture. You've been there in line with your kids, and it's really funny when they're younger. And I I think it's even funnier when they're teenagers. And when you get this real, you have a great relationship with your kids, and you can communicate just with eyes, right? And you parents that have those teenagers, you're just like, you look at your kids, and you know what they're thinking. They know what you're thinking. And you see something happen, right? Or something really weird is about to happen in the store. Someone's going to throw up or whatever it is. You know, I don't know. Stuff happens. You just look at your kids. You're like, oh, man. That, and you're, you're communicating. I see that this is what Jesus is doing with the disciples. They're all looking at Jesus. Everybody knows what's going on. They get the picture and they're like, something bad. This isn't good. And so Jesus kind of pulls them aside and says, hey, you just saw that happen, didn't you? And they're all like, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. And he says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they have contributed out of their abundance. He so like drives the truth so deep into them. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And when we combine the story over here with the change of heart, he's saying, hey, look, these rich people that were here, and there's nothing, God doesn't condemn anybody for being rich. He condemns the attitude that was happening. He says, these people that were rich, they had a problem. They only gave when they had an abundance. This woman was so deeply and passionately in love with God. She didn't give because she had to. She gave because I am in love with God because he loves me and I am going to give back to him because I love him. And he's like, hey, look at the change of heart. Seize the day. Seize the day not just by getting and bringing our children, leading them to Jesus Christ, leading our neighbors to Jesus Christ, leading our coworkers to Jesus Christ, leading everyone in our life circles to Jesus Christ. But then we take this next step by looking around for moments we can influence them with Jesus Christ, influence them with the truths of God, of who he is. I remember um, a time in my life, it was... uh, Thanksgiving time. As I told you, my parents were uh, church planters, which meant uh, we didn't have much money. Sometimes we didn't have any money. And uh, one of the ways that my dad uh, helped provide in between while we were planting churches is he trapped beavers. Uh, In New England at this time, we had a bunch of problems with beavers, flooding people's land, all kinds of problems. So he was part of the uh, team to help reduce their population. And I remember Thanksgiving, and he, he was trying to influence me for Jesus Christ, helping me, lead me to Jesus Christ. And I remember sitting in this other station wagon we had with this wood panel down the side, right? And uh, we pulled out, and he's like, called me and said, Steve, let's go, and we're going to uh, go check our traps. I was like, okay, we're going to go check traps. I remember him, uh, we pulled up to this place way out in the woods where there was this lake, And uh, he pulled down, got one of the traps ready and prepared. And we had gone down, taken the other beaver out from where we had trapped it. And we were getting ready to go down to set the trap back in place to trap the other beaver to kind of rid the population. 
I remember him reaching into this cooler and him opening up the cooler. And he says, before I open this, I want to tell you something. This is a rancid piece of meat that these animals are going to absolutely love. And it's going to stink. And he had these rubber gloves on. And he reaches down, he picks it up, and he's like, this is our sin. But not only is it like our sin, but this is the sin of the world. This is temptations. And he's like, he's just talking, right? And he's putting it onto this hook and everything. He's like, this, what happens to us is from God's perspective, he looks at that and he's like, that is a rancid piece of meat you're, temp- you're tempted to go to. It's nasty, it's disgusting, it's hurtful. And he again talks to me about, hey, the book of James, James' brother, he talks about this in the first chapter. And he's like putting this trap together. He's like, he starts telling me about how we are just like these beavers, about how we're led outside of the den and Satan knows exactly where to get us. Just like we talked about from John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal and to destroy and to kill. He says, I am here to take their life. And he says, this rancid piece of meat is going to take that beaver from inside that den to get outside. It's going to go through that trap and it's going to take its life. And you know what? That's exactly what Satan wants to do to you. You know that, Steve? You know, he wants to tempt you. He wants you to think that this is great and wonderful and it's going to help you in your life and you're going to end up being hurt and wrecked. See, Jesus came to give you the best life you could possibly have. That's what Jesus in this passage, Luke chapter 21, was doing. He said, hey, look, here's two people. Here's someone without a changed heart. Here's someone with a changed heart. This person with a changed heart, they're giving because they love God. They don't have, but they want to give back because they love him so much. And as modern families seizing the day, we are every moment looking for opportunities to influence our children, people around us for Jesus Christ. Revealing the truths, helping them to see. Being a parent, I will tell you, is, you know this, it's not an easy job. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's thinking and being intentional about what we can do and how we can move our children into a deeper walk with God. One of the things, talking to my mom and my dad, as I've grown older, my mom has shared this with me. You never, ever stop being a parent. The only difference is you don't always know everything that happened. And so some of you that are older, you know that because of the heartache, the challenges. They come to you after the fact, right? And so as parents, our responsibility is to look for a change of heart and then to look around how we can influence them for Jesus Christ. And here comes the last one. If you and I are going to lead our children to Christ, we're going to help them to grow in this relationship, regardless of the outcome, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on growth. That's our final place. We focus consistently on the growth of the relationship in God. Look at Luke chapter 13, 6 through 9. And Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree. Notice the words, a fig tree, one fig tree. And he planted it in his vineyard. So here's the deal. He takes this one fig tree, plants it in the most fertile soil that it could possibly have, but leaves it without anything else. There's two implications here. Number one is about Israel. And we're going to leave that aside because we're really focusing on the practicalness of this passage. And so what I want us to help us to understand is it's also about a person. 
And here's what happens as parents. We act just like this if we're not intentional in seizing the day as a modern family. If we're not intentional in our offices with seizing the moments of leading people to Christ, helping them grow in their relationship with Christ, regardless of the outcome, we act just like this. It happens in our neighborhoods. It happens when we go to the checkout counters. Here's what happens. He planted this tree and left it. No community, no influence. What happens is parents, uh, you know what? We'll bring them to church. We'll bring them to this Christian event. We'll do this and maybe they'll grow in the relationship. God says, whoa, time out. It's constantly intentional, moving that individual towards a relationship with Christ, in a relationship with Christ, deeper in a relationship with Christ, regardless of how they respond. And so he says, hey, focus on growth. So this vineyard guy comes and he does this. He comes to this place and he says, seeking fruit on it. Eh, wrong answer, right? We're at like AGT, they got the big X's. That's not going to happen. Why? Because a fig tree to produce figs needs more fig trees so that it pollinates, so that it has a community to grow in. It needs attention. It loves nurt- needs nurturing. And so he says, for three years, I have come seeking fruit on this tree. I find none. Cut it down. Isn't that our temptation sometimes? We want to look at other people. We want to look at the children. We want to look at our coworkers. We want to look at our neighbors and say, they're not responding. Cut it out. When we see this word cut down, it was a harsh judgment passed on this fig tree. It says this, why should it continue to waste its life using up this ground? The gardener who is our advocate, or Jesus, says, hold on, hold on, i got to put the brakes on. You're about to do some radical action here that I am going to stop you from doing. Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it, put manure on it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well, good. But if not, you can cut it down. I want to dig into the last place because if you and I are going to focus on growth in our children or in whoever, whatever relationship we have, here's the first thing we're going to do. Dig in. You and I must begin to dig into these relationships just like Jesus dug into the relationships with his disciples. Realize there were 12 disciples and one of them turned their back on Jesus so much that that's who led him to be crucified on a cross. But Jesus had dug all of his life into him. We dig in by getting all hands on deck. When we look at this verse from Luke chapter 21, we find these really important words here. We find that he says, "Uh, Sir, until I dig in around the tree. It literally means that I'm going to dig up that hard soil that's been packed down for three years to where the roots can't get any nourishment, where the water can't get down in. He says, everybody on your farm is going to gather around to make this thing work. Is that the kind of attitude that you've had in your families, in your neighborhood, with other people? 
Because see, that's what God's calling us as followers of Jesus Christ to do, to dig in with that type of intentionality. It means the word dig in also meant to have strong, long endurance, that we were patient to let it go further. It meant to break up that hardness, to believe that God can do anything, expose it to all of the elements that it needed to, to have. Not only to dig in, but here's the next one. You and I must begin to feed this person. I will tell you, my parents were relentless on me coming and growing to, in Jesus Christ. I got annoyed. I did not handle it well. I got angry. I know wrongfully, admittedly, I drove my mom to tears, my dad to anger for my foolishness. But our goal is to pour on stuff to feed it. Look what this person says. I'm going to put manure on it. I'm going down to the farm. I'll bring it up. I'll pour manure on it. I will help it to grow. It will have everything it possibly can. How do we do that? Let's just use our, our bodies. Number one, our ears. Get your teenager to listen. You help them listen by reading God's word to them. You read it to them, get them to read it. Say, hey, you're going through this challenge. Hey, just read that. I'll never forget my mom pulling out Bible verses and say, hey, you having a problem with that? Hey, why don't you read this? My dad would say, hey, well, um, just like we did on that temptation. Hey, why don't you read this verse about James right here? You're like, Steve, I don't know the Bible that well. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must dive into his word Write down God's word and post it around your house so that they're thinking about it, helping them to memorize it. Here's the next one. If we're going to focus on growth, not just dig in, feed it, but the last one is to give it time. Look what he says down here. Sir, let it alone this year. He's saying, hey, look, give it an entire year to begin to produce fruit. You know what? Some of your relationships are so broken, so damaged, so messed up. It's going to take a long time to repair. Husbands, wives, moms, dads, coworkers. Here's what God's saying. Dig in. Go in for the long haul. Feed that as much as you can. Practice Romans chapter 12. When they do mean, hurtful things to you, you provide good and loving and caring things. Then we come down to the end of this verse. And there's a really interesting part because here's what Jesus says. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well, good. If not, you can cut it down. The reality of those two if-then statements are this. There has been so much damage done to this tree not sure that it's going to make it out. But if it does, because we all get our, all of our hands on deck, we feed this thing. You know what? Great. We've spared it. I believe if Jesus was sitting here, he would say, don't ever let it get to this point, to where there's doubt, to where we might not be able to rescue that because of what's happened. See, it sees the day parents, it sees the day people where we live and love like Jesus. Here's what God wants us to do. Leading every one of my life circles to Christ, helping them grow in this relationship with Christ, regardless of the response or outcome. See, Jesus says, hey, do what you can do regardless of how the tree responds. Do what you can do even though that rich young person didn't come to Jesus Christ. Because there's times where those people will come and they'll be like that widow that will give all of what they can give because they're in love with Jesus Christ.
Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to read, to investigate your scriptures, to be families, to be a church, to be individuals that leave this place and seize the day for you. Leading people to Christ, helping them grow in Christ, regardless of how they respond. In Jesus' name.